What's up, bros? Siege here. Just giving you guys a little heads up before the episode. This was recorded before the new wave of resistance and protests, but we still want to make sure that our voices are heard and that it is known that we support and we encourage our listeners. Follow the Black Lives Matter movement. Visit blacklivesmatter.com to learn how to donate, sign petitions, and protest safely. You can also check out Black Visions Collective, Reclaim the Block, Know Your Rights Camp, Minnesota Freedom Fund, Communities United Against Police Brutality, and the ACLU to learn more about the cause. Defund the police, Black Lives Matter, and enjoy the episode. I uh, have a really hard time with small talk anymore because of Zoom meetings and various things. <laughs> like now I just ask people, I'm like, so what's your mental health like right now, bro? That like, sounds like I a good one. Straight to it because I can't talk about small talk. Like we all have been doing nothing. I got <laughs> it. There's nothing to catch up on. Exactly. I was looking at a meme that was like, I don't have plans. Stop asking. <laughs> yeah. What have you been doing? The same thing I've been doing. The same thing I said the last three times we talked. Yeah. Someone was like, what's new? I was like, nothing. Like, what? Like we got a puppy. Outside of that, nothing else is new. Yeah. The state of the world is still in a steady decline. So. <laughs> Are you ready? Yeah. Yep. Okay. When the spawn is What up, bros? What up, bros? And welcome to Brown Meets World. What is Brown Meets World? Your Boy Meets World fan cast. Episode 81. I'm Siege. And I'm your boy, Tony Coitus. I am Tony. Let's talk about this episode, shall we? Okay, so first of all, this is a Christmas episode. Let's let's hats off for Christmas. Yes, <laughs> I, I don't know. I always love holiday episodes, even though this isn't the strongest holiday episode. Just because when you watch it, if if you were to like, I don't know, every Christmas while I'm watching various Christmas movies, I also tend to watch the Christmas specials of various television shows as well yep. as like part of my holiday tradition and so boy meets world i feel like the better christmas episode is called a very topanga christmas which uh-huh. i think is next season's christmas episode i think that's a better one to choose just because this one's kind of dark right yes this one is pretty dark i mean and we get a little levity with the eric storyline but other than that um we're more so talking about these economic issues and life choices and the and fallout organized crime yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm so excited to explore this oh my gosh um uh, okay are you ready for the tell me about it yes all right do the tell me about it okay i'm gonna do it a little differently because it's a christmas episode okay yep christmas show christmas show court and sean get jobs Sean starts working at the dock and Corey for the mob. Hey, that was fantastic. I hey, cannot. You know what? I got the holiday spirit. Bro. That I don't know was so good. I'm very, very proud. That may be like one of my favorite and best ones yet. I'm really proud of you. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> I took a, I swung for the fence and I made it, guys. I love it. It's a Christmas miracle. <laughs> okay, this is season four, episode 12, Easy Street. Ho, ho. Comedy veterans Buddy Hackett and Soupy Sales play two businessmen of a shady sort who hire Corey to run errands for them. Since it is just before Christmas, Corey decides that he can use the money for his holiday shopping. However, Corey quits once he figures out that the two gents are part of the mob. Sean takes over the job, but Corey must persuade his pal to quit as well before he gets in over his head or hit over the head. In a B storyline, Eric volunteers to take Alani on her Christmas vacation. This, um... uh... Do, do we want to talk about the Eric storyline just to get it out the way? Yes, which is lob storyline. Let's just get it out of the way, which is to say that it's another thing of this sexually starved teenage boy. Um, for some reason, it's played for laughs that he is willing to be sexual even during a life or death crisis. Um, I find I did find it like levity in the episode but the concept itself i was like eh, okay i here's my issue with this episode which is whatever eric and lonnie have a really light b story to you know balance what's going on with sean and Corey. i'm fine with that you know um my issue is that lonnie is included at the closing credits christmas card pick Mm-hmm. And we legit never <laughs> see this chick again. After this episode? I do not believe she makes another appearance on wow. this show. <laughs> and so, and if she does, it's very brief. But again, I'm I'm almost positive here that she does not come back. So it's one of those things where like because it was a Christmas episode, I would have rather they told a story that was more personal to the characters. I would have rather Eric and like Feeney had a storyline or something like that versus Lonnie, who is just a character that again, was just here for a few episodes and only for gags about Eric trying to fuck her. Exactly. Like I'm with you. Let's see her actually make it to her family's cabin and Eric have to spend Christmas with them and learn the true meaning of Christmas or something. I don't know, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, we could have done more, but I guess they were like, we did the really weighted storyline with Corey and Sean. So we'll just let it be nonsense with Eric. Eric with Lonnie's family is a much funnier premise because everything we know about her uncle and like her is that these are a bunch of characters. So yes. actually it could have been a really fun, like uh, National Lampoon's Christmas type of yeah. thing. Uh, maybe that would have been too many characters, new characters. I don't know. Um, but- yeah, this storyline did seem a little um, low budget. Just on the fact that even the really fun parts of the episode, we only hear about through Lonnie's tale. You know what I mean? Uh, there's a section of Lonnie and Eric's story that I was a bra moment for me, and I don't know if we should discuss it now or at the end of the episode. Let's talk about it now. Okay, so the bra moment for me was Lonnie at one point during the snowstorm that she encounters with Eric – Eric has passed out, and Lonnie's like, okay, I have to keep us warm. I heard of this old trick where we get all naked inside of a sleeping bag, and our body heat keeps us warm. So Eric, who has passed out for various reasons, 
Lonnie completely undresses him, strips him completely naked, as she does strip completely naked in the sleeping bag to the point where the storm passes and she's able to get out of the sleeping bag and dress the both of them before Eric wakes up. Mm-hmm. Is there a consent issue in this? Because it wasn't sexual, I don't know if consent... I mean, that's a very good question, and please give us your feedback, but I feel like because it was a life-or-death situation and it was about survival and not sexual, I feel like it was fine because she really was doing what she could to save his life. Um, what I will say is, A, to be passed out that long does not sound good. Feels Sounds like a concussion. <laughs> and... Um, Maybe that explains some of Eric's long-term brain damage. Just gotta gotta say that. But then also, uh, you have the fact that if it was Eric who did it, then we have the idea of consent because uh. we know his intent was not just for life saving. It it would have been to see her naked. I mean, she does make a comment about his, but I don't know. I just for me, it was just one of those things where it's like, oh, like. I don't know, maybe down to his underwear, maybe, or something, but (laughs) it was just interesting that they just made that a part of the show when they didn't have to. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, also, who knows? I mean, we weren't there. Maybe she did just get him down to his underwear. Um, Either way, when you're talking about someone's butt, you're you're talking about the shape itself, not necessarily the birthmark. It's not like she said, nice birthmark, you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, nice throbber, bruh. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, you ready to um, so, yeah, just moving right past that. Yeah, just moving right past it. that. Um, I would want to say Buddy Hackett and Soupy Sales. Can we talk about them for a little bit? I love this comedy duo. Okay. It's so interesting that you said that because as I was watching this, my fiance said, am I supposed to know who those two people are? And oh. My response was... I couldn't tell you if I wanted to. <laughs> you know who Soupy Sales is? I, I you know what, Buddy Hackett. I, I now that you say that, that sounds a little bit more familiar. But the other guy, no, I do not recognize them. If you know their filmography, if you have a body of work that you can throw out, I might recognize them from that. But just watching the show, no correlation. No They're stress. just like put it this way: it was kind of like when we had the guest appearances from Happy Days. They are just television legends. They are comedy legends, and um, to to have them both guest star was kind of like it would be if Lucille Ball was on the show. You know what I mean? Or when we had Phyllis Diller. It's it's a lot of that kind of casting. It's so interesting because you can really just uh, – there are times with casting in various television shows where they will bring upon a guest star, and I feel so lost. Because, <laughs> like, And this has happened to me since I was a kid. Like I would watch like three company episode reruns, and some random person would come on, and the crowd would go nuts. And I'd be like, do I need to know who this fucker is to be able to enjoy this three's company episode? Or <laughs> – like, it, it just, I feel like I'm not included in the joke. And I understand, like, you have to be part of the generation to really understand all of the guest stars and things like that. But, um, yeah, I definitely felt disconnected from, from this duo. Well, I will say that um, I didn't feel like you needed to know who these two actors were to get the 
storyline. You know what I mean? Oh, not at all. Yeah, and I think yeah, that that's that's better when you have someone who's cast for a role and the role is heavily weighed on their popularity or the understanding of who they are. That's different. But this one was just kind of like they wrote the script, and it could have been any two guys. And I think, as you mentioned, for a lot of people, it was just any two guys. <laughs> yes, it's and 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 to your point, it's not the same as the rave episode last year where yes. you kind of had to know who the Partridge family and the monkeys were in order to get a lot of those jokes. This episode, it was just two random guys who for me were two random guys, but to your point, you know, television legacy. Yeah. Okay. So, um, <laughs> with this storyline, I am a little unsure where to start because there's so oh, I much go. to go. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. I want to start with the classroom because I think that's where the episode starts anyway. And this show, and I think this season just does such a better job at this than other seasons is this episode specifically really brings the classroom uh, lesson with the life lesson and mixes it really well. So we start with, you know, this dissection of Robert Frost's, uh, you know, Two Roads to Virgin of Wood, um, classic poem, some shit we all talked about in high school. And they're just kind of talking about, you know, how you make decisions in life and it sets you off on different life paths and, you know, how that can, you know, affect your entire life. And, um, you know, I don't want to go too far ahead, but it's just I love it when they're able to successfully tie together the school narrative with the life narrative. I just feel like it makes what they learn in school carry more weight, even for us as an audience, to where you want them to start paying attention in class because you know that it's going to later on help them. I loved what they were trying to say with the Road Not Traveled poem. And they even reference it later on in the episode, and I thought that was really, um, you know, a good bookend. But uh, do you know the the drama with the poem of the road not taken? Oh, please tell. So it is popular opinion now, anyway, that a lot of people have misunderstood the meaning of the road not taken. The road not taken for most people and how it's received in popular culture anyway, is that, you know, there are two two different roads. You take the one less traveled. But the real meaning of that poem is whether you take the road less traveled or the road that everyone travels, you end up in the same space. So it's more of a choice. Like a lot of people promote it as a poem about choice, but in reality, it is a poem about the journey. Like your endpoint will be the exact same, but how you get there is dependent on the choice you make. That's that's fascinating because you're right. <laughs> I only knew the one narrative and the one take of it, mostly based from this episode. Because as I've talked about in previous podcasts, most of my life was shaped by Boy Meets World episodes. Um, so my first connection with the this poem was through this episode. So, I mean, that's really interesting to find out considering I've only heard the one take. Um do you have any comment on Sean being told that his life is going to lead to him waiting for lottery tickets? Yeah, of course I do. Describe the scene for our, for our listeners. They're talking about the road less traveled. Corey and Sean are sleeping. They're actually doing the funny bit of like one snoring and one <sighs> and the other one. Beep, 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 beep.
Interesting, in my class, Mr. Hunter handles the yipping. Sean. Sean, it's both of them. Oh, no, now I don't know which class I slept through. Anyways, it's a funny bit. Um, but Turner saw, starts talking to Sean about how he needs to pay attention to this poem um, because, or he needs to do the assignment, which is to make a diary of all the choices you make and then write a paper based on like what that's meant for your life. And Sean's like, well, what if I decide not to do the paper? And he, Jonathan Turner says to him, Mr. Turner, what if my choice is to not do the assignment? You want this one, George? No, no, your class. I get them after lunch. Well, then you would get an F, not get into college. Spend your time hanging out at the local convenience store waiting for them to bring in a new batch of lottery tickets. And that would change my life how? I can't believe someone would say that to someone like Sean, who they know is constantly trying to fight or live against the stereotypes to which he is expected and honestly does better when people expect more of him. Thank you. Okay, because that's the point I was trying to make was that of anyone, Turner knows who Sean is. Turner knows the circumstance. I don't know. Maybe he knows. They used to live together, but I think they've maybe said two words to each other. (laughs) So maybe very Turner knows him, but he should be more sensitive than to kind of point out the fact that, you know, that's a very realistic outcome for a person like Sean. If, you know, very simple things happen in his life, he could end up doing that. So, and, you know, Sean has also made it clear various times that his family members are people like that. So it just seems to be a little insensitive from someone who should be more of a friend to Sean. Um, But I don't know what the fuck Turner's character's doing the season so whatever no i agree with you because as you said it it only rings more harmful and it rings i think it even digs into sean and uh it digs at us because of who it comes from it's not like some random stranger who said it it's mr turner who knows his backstory and understands um so it is it's a little dismissive um and i think that that's why sean takes it so seriously i don't want to spend too much time here because there's a lot in this episode that i want to talk about um do you have anything else before we can start start talking about their jobs no, uh, I actually wanted to lead directly into talking about the jobs. And we have a blue-collar job, like a union job on the docks versus delivery for Little Paulies. And, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say that delivery isn't a blue-collar job, but, I mean, they definitely point out that Corey, who does have a more comfortable life, also managed to get a more comfortable job. They call it the cushy job. Yeah, the cushy job versus Sean. But it's interesting because they got these jobs prior to the episode starting, and Sean read a pamphlet that was like, hey, this is a cushy job. This is an easy doc job. I don't know why he thought this would be simple, but it was something that was sold to him that he bought into, um, which I thought was an interesting way for them to... Um, pair him with that job versus like he knew someone or a friend of his dad's like to me that would have been a more interesting way for him to get that job because it would have been more related to the class issue thing well so what i think is great about this storyline is these subtle nuances the idea that sean who wanted a cushy job 
took one that advertised itself as so and ended up being worked in the cold and kind of disrespected as a worker. Then you have someone like Corey who took a waiter job, which he expected to be hard and like uh, involved, but it ended up being a, a kind of cushioned gig. And I think that what's interesting about that is in real life, this is how we advertise things to people um, when it comes to careers, you know, we tell them if you get this job or if you join the army or anything, like your problems will be solved. It's easy money. But then the work that has to go with that is not nothing compared to the individuals who pursue different careers that may seem more complex, but at the end ended up being way more giving. Well, one of the things that's really important to point out is that both of the boys decided to get jobs specifically so that they could buy Christmas presents for their friends and family for uh, the holiday season. And yep. I, I only bring that up because that does play an important part later on in the story. But yeah, so the only reason they got these jobs was, you know, for a few weeks for Christmas vacation. It wasn't meant to be anything permanent. And it sure as hell wasn't for Sean, because I think he quits his job after one day. <laughs> well, he did. Well, he doesn't quit his job. But what I do think is interesting is when he's talking about his job, and he comes over and he's telling Corey about what's going on. He's describing the conditions. And he's talking about how cold he was and how dismissive his boss is. And something that his boss says really stuck with me, which was, you took the job. So now all onus is placed on Sean, someone who does not know the industry, someone who basically wasn't prepared for the weight of the responsibility. But the boss is like, well, you took it, so you have to deal with the consequences without really giving any space for needing the job or wanting the money. You know what I mean? You, do you get where I'm going yeah, with this? Yeah, totally. Um, there's actually a really funny part there that I, I – you know we have a bra moment on the show. I wanna, <laughs> just because of what we're in right now in our current quarantine phase, um, I would like to call this the corona moment where yeah. Sean <laughs> says in passing that he helped dock boxes from the same Turkish freighter that brought over the outbreak money, monkey. Yep. And they told Corey, if I got it, you got it, and started rubbing his hands all over Corey's face. That shit does not fly in 2020. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy that you mentioned that because that was definitely – and I love this new corona moment. That was definitely yeah. something that I was like, <laughs> this is so relevant to what we're going through right now. Um, okay, so we Sean goes to Corey's job to check it out, and Sean's right away realizes that Corey's working for the mob. Yeah, and it's also it's funny because there is this sweet naivete to Corey. Um, and you know, like he's keeps pressing about the package that they want him to deliver, and you know, he's asking all these questions where because Sean is street smart. He understands early on that these aren't questions that need to be asked and you just kind of do the job and feign ignorance. But I think it's interesting that what we get is the more the moment Corey understands what he's doing, he leaves the job. But it was still mob money that he was taking when he didn't know. So yeah. I want to discuss how we feel about that because according to Corey, it's fine to take the money as long as you don't know where it's coming from. But the moment you know where it's coming from, 
that's where the I real guess problem he's is. Saying that he didn't realize he was involved in anything illegal, and the moment that he realized that he got out of it, and I think that's the point that he's trying to make to Sean because yeah. He still hung on to that money that he made. He even offered to give it to Sean afterwards um, to convince him to quit the job. So it's not like Corey got rid of that money. It's not like he's like, I don't want to keep it. Um, I think he's just talking more so about being aware of your circumstances that you're in and, you know, deciding to choose a different path in the woods, so to speak. Yeah, I know. I think for me, you know, especially how I feel with a Corey character, he can be a little bit holier than thou, especially in situations like this. And I think that while the purpose of this episode is to show the slippery slope of crime and of taking the easy street each time Sean takes the easy street, he ends up in a situation that kind of puts him in over his head so i get that but i also just i'm having this hard time especially now that i'm looking at all these documentaries and all these crime series and wanting to define at what point in time does it make it okay because Corey didn't as you said Corey didn't give back all the money so it's still blood money you know what i mean and or not necessarily blood money but it's still mob money and he kept that that was fine for him to keep but when sean wanted to give him a gift that was bought with money he was like i can't accept this dude okay i think this show does a thing with Corey and sean that they've always done and they will continue to do which is they present a dangerous um circumstance or opportunity for the boys and Corey will take like two steps forward five steps back right and sean will take five steps forward two steps back right uh-huh. and uh, They'll talk about how why Sean made a worse decision than Corey. But you're right. Like Corey, many times, maybe not so much in this episode, but in other episodes, actively participates. What I'm thinking of specifically is the drinking episode that happens next season where Corey decides to get drunk when Corey uh, Topanga breaks up with him. Spoiler alert. Corey in the jar. <laughs> do not care. Um Topanga breaks up with Corey, Corey decides to get drunk, and then, like, he has one bad night, and this is like, I'm never drinking again. But Sean, who wasn't even thinking about drinking before, has fun with Corey the night they get drunk, and he continues to drink. And then Corey at the end of the episode is like, bro, you should be smarter about your decisions. No! Fuck that! And so, it's the same thing that I've seen with, like, over and over again in the various ways that they've made Sean, like, lean into this behavior that Corey, at first, is very attracted to, but then is like, like, no, 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 this is bad. I'm not going to participate. And so I guess ultimately what the show is trying to say is it's not necessarily whether or not you go down the wrong path. It's whether or not you continue. I guess that's it. <laughs> okay, just based off of what you were saying, I was like, I guess that could be their ultimate lesson. Um, one of the things I do want to talk about is the idea of mobs as the acceptable tv versions of crime yeah i mean well you're also talking about a show that every time they show a gang they look like a 50s doo-wop group like that's true they they don't do crime well on the show i thought it was very interesting that they were handling the mob with such seriousness like the conversation that they make with the with the box at the end of the episode between i'm skipping forward in the episode a little bit but Corey and sean are on the street corner and sean has a box he's supposed to deliver and they're talking about this box like it could be 
anything. Like, it could be drugs. Like, it could be, like, a, a fucking, like, gun that was used in the crime. Like, we don't know what's in the box, but they're talking about it as if they've encountered the worst kind of evil and they need to get the hell out of there because they're in too deep. Whereas, from what we've seen... It's been nothing but preparing cappuccinos and maybe delivering a letter now and then. Like, it, it's interesting what they show versus what they imply when it comes to the mob. What they show is a very humorous take of two old men who are running a business, ha, ha, ha. But what they're implying in the closing, like, dialogue between the two boys is that they are so deep in this world and they need to get out of it. I love that you mentioned that because what the show does acknowledge is, as you said, all we see are two older men who are kind of funny and elusive and vague. Um, But they specifically mention that that's kind of how they get you. They seem harmless on the surface. They seem like they... Um, they're just asking to do this one little favor. It starts off small, but before you know it, you're in over your head. Sean, who sees himself as street smart and aware even of crime and of how these things work, finds himself in and sucked in with the money and the feelings of being powerful and having choices uh, that comes along with that money. And Corey is the one who comes in and it's like, if you really think that it's nothing, then open the box. And you won't open the box because you and I both know that once you do, that whole innocence, that blind side evaporates. And I love that they take that moment and they're even like, wouldn't it be nice if it was just a teddy bear in this box? And they're both like, we know it's not. It's. I want to talk a little bit about the conversation that they have at the end um, because they have a line in here that goes something like, that's how they get you. They find a guy who has who is nowhere in his life and make him believe he should be on the street corner, something like that. Like, they yes. find a guy who has nothing going on in his life and they make him believe that he should be participating in their activity. I guess that's how they get you. They find a guy who feels like he's nowhere in his life. And they make him believe that where he should be is on a street corner holding a box in the middle of Christmas Eve. Yeah, well, maybe this is my street. You know, maybe no matter what I do, this is where I end up, like that poem says. No. No, see, the poem says you have choices in your life. And every choice you make means something. Yep. Okay, the reason why that line stood out to me is because I feel like that's kind of what they're doing with Sean this this season. Like, and maybe I'm I'm you know it's a little early in the season to kind of guess what his arc is overall arc is, but it feels as though they're presenting Sean with various circumstances where he can either be a good guy or a bad guy, and he is having to choose being a good guy. And we saw that with the. Um, you know, the episode with the Jurassic Park girl who's going to be up by her dad. We, you know, see it a little bit in, you know, a bunch of other episodes where, you know, he has to decide if he's going to be a criminal or not. And so I just thought it was a really um, interesting. And later on in the season, he is presented with the opportunity to join a cult because he is nowhere in his life and has nothing to believe in. Like they paint him as being lost. And I don't know if that's because his family unit is back together and he doesn't know what to think of it. He doesn't quite know where he fits in amongst his friends who are of a higher class. 
But it seems as though that's a reoccurring theme they're doing with him. Well, so what really bothers me is that the motivation seems to be that he's poor. It's not necessarily that he has a troubled home life or he doesn't have real direction himself or he thinks of himself not smart. It's that he's poor. And because he's poor, he has harder decisions to make, which is true. But at the same time, his are like, I guess, more obvious, whereas we see Corey fail to make the right decision time and time again, but he's let off the hook. You know what I mean? Like, Sean's Sean's path is, will you be a criminal or will you not be a criminal? And he's always rewarded for choosing to not be a criminal. However, Corey is given chance after chance to be a good guy, a stand-up guy, or not, and usually he falters, and other people help him get back on his feet. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. I think that that's what I kind of have a problem with how we talk about Sean and his storyline. It's not that he's necessarily unsure of himself and unsure of what to do next so much as he is he's poor. And because he's poor, that means he's unsure of himself and unsure of what well, to do. I well, think, I think the other factor is like especially when they introduced the mob in this episode, it made me think a lot about – you know, what we know of Sean's family, the family members that we met during that like interview episode that they did where they were filming a video for Chet, or, you know, we've met his uncle a few times. All of them seem like they may have a relationship with the mob or gang-like activity. It just feels like Sean sometimes is doing this stuff because he feels like it's his only option. And so I, I think what the show tries to do is use Corey and his world to say, Hey man, there's another option other than just these that are seem to be presented for you. Yeah. I think I, I agree with that. And I like that. I feel like I would like that more if they didn't constantly bring up the financial state totally. or stuck with it and be like, he's specifically doing this not because of any other reason than money gives you power and really talk about ways to solve that or other ways Sean can find that sense of power without money. Because what they do is they shame him for being drawn to money, but they don't give him any alternative other than his friendship with Corey. Totally. Like It's fine that they're in high school now, but if this was outside of high school and Sean was had a shitty job at the docks, would he truly choose that? over this job where he makes $200 for dropping off a box. You know, like, it, it, the, the show isn't allowed to really get into it to that level. Yeah, and and I guess what we're both saying is the show very much makes this argument of morality is tied to finances without giving Sean any branch to hold on other than Corey's finances. You know what I mean? It's like, well, I get to walk away from this because Corey has a good enough life for me and has excess. So therefore I can just kind of use his or um, find myself in his excess instead of earning my own. And that is what I have a problem with. Sure. Sure. Hey, I, I was, it was interesting to me during like that closing discussion between 
Corey and Sean at the street corner, when they're talking about the poem, the Robert Frost poem, did you ever get any outsider vibes from that from that scene of them, like two gut kids just talking about what a poem means for their life, like a Robert Frost poem specifically? Like to me, it, it created this outsider's pony boy, you know, stay gold kind of dialogue uh, that, uh, imagery that I got. I didn't, but now that you say it, it's totally there. Like I could, I would not argue against you on that. The only other thing I really have to say about um, this storyline is that they brought up, um, they specifically said, I always thought the devil was a, a, a red guy with horns and a tail or something, not a, like an innocent looking older white man, which I thought was <laughs> a very awesome thing to put on that <laughs> uh, television in the 90s. Um, Corey at one point says to Sean, hey, I don't want to accept your gift because it was bought with dirty money. And so my question I had for you was, would you be able to accept a gift that you thought was bought with money you felt was dirty? If I'm going to be honest, I think that I would accept the gift, but at the same time, it's a matter of, you can still have that conversation. Because I think that denying the gift in general negates the work that Sean did do for it. You know, and and maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Maybe when presented with that uh, scenario in real life, and if the stakes were high enough, I would be like, I want nothing to do with any of this, any of this lifestyle. But at the same time, I feel like to ignore the efforts that Sean did put forth and not. Again, they didn't really provide him with alternatives other than, "Hey, I'm your friend. You you should choose our relationship." over finances or our relationship won't be the same if you don't have finances they don't even really make that that clear Uh, my answer is it depends it depends like if you give me a watch and then a cop comes to my door looking for said watch then that's some shit i don't want to accept you know what i mean but if you earned money from the mob and used your legally you know, it through a paycheck or through tips or whatever, you went out and bought something, I feel like I can accept that. And that's what I'm saying. Like, you're right. If it was like they were known for peddling stolen watches and Sean was like, hey, I got one for you. That's completely different than, hey, I earned this money. Yes, we don't like where it came from, but it's the exact same money that Sean was, sorry, that Corey was willing to give to Sean. It's the exact same money. The only difference is now Corey is aware of what that money, where that money came from. Corey brings up a very interesting point too when Sean gives him the watch and Corey's like, well, you said you wanted to get a job to give gifts to your for family and friends. You, you got the gifts. So are you done working for the, these people now? And Sean very obviously goes, uh, bro, I'm making bank. So it's just, it's interesting to your point where it's like, it's, it's almost like like a, like Breaking Bad or anything else. It's like you said that you were only doing this for a certain reason, but now that that reason's passed, why are you still doing it? And that I applaud. I really, really like that Corey did at least say, hey, you got enough money to do the things that you wanted to do. So at least ask yourself, what is this really about? And sure. the fact that Sean answers with, I liked having money. I liked having options. I liked being able to make decisions and all this other stuff. I I really applaud the show for bringing that up. It's not like he was just driven by the money itself. Having money gave him a sense of self and 
more options to work with. 100%. 100%. So what do you think about, I want to bring up the fact that Sean actually gets brought into it because he's called Mr. Loyalty. And this idea of being loyal and um, wanting to follow through, um, even like when he, when Corey first shows up, Sean's like, I got paid for a job and I'm going to do it. When I hear the word loyalty, bro, I, it's scares me and when i hear the word loyalty it's it scares me for two reasons i either have this gang mentality of you know i'm loyal so i'm gonna take the rap for someone else for some shit i didn't do which i have no interest in doing at all (laughs) or it's in this weird trump way of just like if you're loyal to me good things will happen but if you're not bad things will happen and so like i just really the whole uh, concept that the loyalty is the thing that one Sean this gig doesn't surprise me at all because it's almost like a predatory thing like they sense that you know that was something that they could use against Sean to get him to be loyal to them blindly almost you know to get that same treatment that he has with Corey with them so that they could build a rapport and they could take advantage of him exactly like I, I will say that first of all when Corey comes in Corey specifically says something along the lines of, you're just a delivery boy that they don't care about. And that's very clear. Like you said, they spotted his sense of loyalty, but if things really came down to it, they would very gladly throw him under the bus or allow him to die. And I think that blind loyalty is where you come into a problem. I have no problem with loyalty, but I always tell people, I'm not a ride or die friend. I'm a ride and ask questions friend. You know, it's just like, where are we going? How did this happen? What decisions did you make along the way? Um, That's who I am. I'm there to encourage you to live your best life, but I don't stand by you when it's clear that you're in the wrong. Overall, I will say that even though the way they portray Sean's income and the way that influences his behaviors, the way they handle the mob, there's things we can dissect about all of it. But overall, the the fact that they made this story about Sean joining the mob into a Christmas episode that kind of did have a heartwarming ending at the end where the boys have like a real conversation that I wouldn't typically see on the TGIF show, I think makes this episode a, a, a pretty solid one, right? I absolutely agree. I think that one of the things that I chose um, as one of my favorite quotes from this episode is um, Sean saying, I choose the road that always go back goes back to your place. And I do, as much as I kind of ripped apart this storyline and their motivations, the idea that at the end of the day, Sean will always choose the road that leads to Corey is really heartwarming because what that says is Corey is Sean's family. He is his center. And we see that even like in the spinoff that Sean and Corey have this bond and Sean understands that Corey is home. Totally. Totally. Okay. Um, so uh, we talked about our bra moment. Do you have a Feeny lesson? You know, other than what we've discussed already, I feel like we've kind of hit on a few lessons, but I think overall it's, you know, 
we all have choices to make in this life and, you know, they'll lead you down various, you know, paths and you kind of have to use your friends and your family to consult with you to make sure you're going down the right choice. I think that that's the big distinguishing factor they make between the character in the Robert Frost poem and Sean is that that character didn't have a support system. And Corey saying that what makes you stand out, what makes you luckier than him is that you have a support system that can help you navigate these decisions. So I think that that's the the lesson that they're trying to communicate here is to build up a, a healthy support system that can help you when you need to make a choice uh, a path yeah and i i would echo that by saying something we mentioned earlier which is that even if you go down the wrong path you don't have to stay going down the the wrong path you know you're able to shift course um at any point in time so how about a grade what grade are you giving this I'm giving this episode an A minus. Um, the only reason this episode is getting an A minus and not an A is because of Lonnie. Other than that, <laughs> I, the episode was fine. Absolutely, I completely agree. That is my grade as well. A minus. I think this is a really good episode. I think we have a lot. It gave you and I a lot to discuss, and um, we could. I will say this. Ex- Go ahead. I'm over Turner at this point. I can't, <laughs> like, it's so interesting that like the show will give us characters that we're like, oh, I can't see the show without this character. Minkus was our favorite character of season one. And the time they get rid of these characters, we're so ready for them to go. And I feel like Turner's the same way. Like, this is his last season as a principal character on Boy Meets World, and I, I'm ready for it. Like, he's not doing anything. Yeah, I agree. And I think, like, we always kind of talk about how he his character came to an end kind of suddenly. But as we rewatch, we understand that it wasn't really so much sudden as it was he was phased out and they never gave him the conclusion that once a starring character deserved. Well, and also like by having Will, Friedel, and um, I'm sorry, by having Eric and Feeney's character build a rapport and having that be part of uh, his story arc, they're including Feeney into the show um, and giving him purpose where they're just not doing that with Turner at all. Absolutely. Okay. um, Homework. Do you have any homework? Um, yes, I'm going to talk about some homework. I don't know if I've suggested it before, but we are in quarantine, so forgive me. Um, I've been rewatching a lot, and um, I would like to recommend the movie Showgirls. And the reason <laughs> is, is because I don't believe you've seen this movie, right? I have not. In fact, uh, my boyfriend is very mad at you because when we saw you were watching it, we tried to watch it, but it's not available on the platform that you told me it was, and uh, it is on our to-do list. Okay, well, I'm very sorry. Um, <laughs> I think it's available on Hulu if you have the Cinemax like add-on or whatever. But it's worth renting. And let me just tell you, the reason why I love this movie is because, like I said, it's a master class in overacting. <laughs> to try to follow any character's story arc, why are they in this film, what purpose did they have, will always frustrate the hell out of you. <laughs> and there is a... There, there is... This movie takes a hard right turn in the third act, where it just becomes 
something else. And you are just left mouth agape. And the only thing I can tell you that I think might entice you into this movie is by telling you that it involves the same actress who plays Faith in the movie Soul Food. And let me tell you, <gasps> Faith is trouble. Big trouble. <laughs> and she gets into some big trouble in this movie. <laughs> Faith is trouble. That's one thing we we all know. <laughs> but yeah, it's a really it's a crazy ass movie, and I feel like it's something that you and your boyfriend would like have a good time, like drinking and watching and laughing at because, like, I mean, it, 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 it's just phenomenal. He's uh, so excited for me to watch it, and uh, I will I will definitely do what we can to rent it um, by next next week okay um my homework for this week is this new series on netflix called trial by media it is a series that brings a lot of really famous sociological cases to the forefront but shows how they the media played a role in the convictions and um the aftermath and how a lot of trials especially now once they get to a certain height are more about media storytelling than they are about the facts and or about justice which is something we've known for quite some time but to see it done with real world cases is um, I won't want to say shocking, but it's definitely eye-opening and entertaining at the exact same time. So that's something that I wanted to recommend. Um, they One of the episodes is about the murder that happened after a guest went on the Jenny Jones show. I don't know if you remember that. No, I do not. Oh, my God. So really quickly, this guy went on the Jenny Jones show. He um, – kind of had a quote-unquote secret admirer. It turned out to be this guy. He had known pretty well. And then very shortly after the show, he ended up killing that guy. And Jenny Jones was taken to court because they said that she was responsible, was directly responsible for his death. And um, it basically kind of talks about media accountability and everything. Um, so it's very, very interesting. Um, and I think if you're into true crime and if you're into media and scandal, this is a show for you. Awesome. Sounds very interesting. I'll have to check it out. All right. So that is everything. That is everything. We hope you guys are enjoying your quarantine. We're hoping yet you're using this time to rewatch Boy Meets World, introduce it to your family, you know, just let people know that, you know, they can watch it on Disney Plus anytime and that it's a great way to, to pass the time of quarantine. Okay. Um, thank you guys for always listening to Brummeets World. You guys have been reaching out to us and sending emails and giving us the feedback that we've asked for. And I really, really appreciate that. Um, so make sure you continue to do that. Reach out to us at gmail at brummeetsworld at gmail.com or at brummeetsworld on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at Extra Siege. That's X T R A C E E J T C. You can find me on Instagram at a braver me um, at top braver me. And if you guys, I have a question to pose to our audience. Um, if you guys were given a watch, let's say Rolex, let's really go all out <laughs> with this shit, or like that Apple Watch that costs like fifty thousand dollars, literally <laughs> just to piss people off, the solid gold one. Let's say some shit like that. All right, you get this from a friend, and you know that it was purchased with mob money. Do you keep it? Do you not? I want to know. Siege wants to know. Let us know what's up. Yeah, exactly. All right, you guys, remember to dream. To try. And to do good. 
Do some good, guys. Do some good in this dang world. <laughs> Later, bros. Later, bruh.